So here we are on the, in the second letter from the Apostle Paul to his beloved young Timothy. Paul writes this letter while suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He writes this letter from a prison cell. He finds himself at the last of his life. He is about ready to lose his life. He's about ready to be put to death for his faith. For his faith, and this is where he finds himself with the desire to put pen to page and once again write his dear Timothy. If you recall, Timothy is a young pastor, a young disciple of the Apostle Paul. He found himself in the midst of a very difficult situation. There at the church of Ephesus, he was struggling to be bold in his faith. He was not like the Apostle Paul. He struggled with being more timid. The occasion for this letter is that things have not gotten better there in Ephesus. Things in that church were out of order. There were women in that church who sought to take the leadership, the authority away from men that God had put in place. They cared real little for the roles that God had called them to. These women were empowered by the elders there in the church who were known as ravenous wolves, men who were vicious and did not care for the souls of the church. These men taught false doctrine and dangerous error. There was no gospel at all. They used their show of godliness as means to become powerful and rich, and they sought wealth. And I really want you to, this morning, get the picture of what young Timothy faces in this church. He found himself in the midst of a battle, in the midst of a fight for the truth of God's word. He found that the church there was infiltrated by Satan himself, that God's church had been overrun by men that cared nothing for God. These wicked servants, they, they twisted God's word much like Satan himself did in the garden when he said to Eve, did God really say? These men's teaching, as Paul said, were spreading like gangrene, and Timothy is losing his grit. He's losing his strength to continue on, to continue to fight this fight of the faith. He's tempted to shrink back, to just let it grow there, let the error just take over. And so Paul is writing young Timothy to once again encourage him, to spur him on, to push him, to do what God has called him to do. While this letter will be personal to Timothy, it also once again will be for the church to show who God has given the authority there to put that church in order. And this message is coming from the Apostle Paul himself. And this is no ordinary man that writes to Timothy. He is one who has been personally commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says right there in verse 1 that he is an apostle according to the will of God. And so whenever we see a letter from the Apostle Paul who says, I am a messenger on behalf of the will of God, every single person should pay attention. This letter carries the authority of God himself. These are his words to the church. The Apostle Paul, he writes as a man who is not his own. He is one who was bought with the price, and he has been sent by the living God. 
And I want you to remember this morning where the Apostle Paul came from. Remember his former life. Remember this man who was a zealous Pharisee, so zealous that he was willing to persecute the church. This man hated the way he hated the followers of Jesus Christ, so much so that he was pleased when Stephen was murdered. The Apostle Paul was so zealous against Jesus Christ and his church that he was willing to murder to end this Christian faith. This is who he was when the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And by God's power in his life, the Apostle Paul was radically born anew. And this is why he says, by the will of God, by the Spirit of God, never to be the same. He was a new creature in Christ. This man was born again. And he was a sent one from there on. As Jesus Christ said, he was my chosen instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And I want you to think this morning about the powerful testimony of the Apostle Paul. This testimony cannot be explained by natural causes. It is a struggle for most secular scholars to explain how is it that the Apostle Paul went from murdering Christians to all of a sudden being the leader in the church of Jesus Christ. Something miraculous had to happen in his life. See, this man's heart was completely against God and His ways. He hated Christ. And now all of a sudden, he says that he is an apostle sent by Jesus Christ. There is no natural cause that can explain it. Something supernatural took place in Paul's life. This man was born of the will of God by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This apostle, he now writes, inspired by God the Holy Spirit. He writes not his own opinion, but the very words of God. And these words, I tell you, carry the same weight, the same authority to this very day. God is speaking through this word to you and me. Hear this morning the words of the living God. The Apostle Paul says here that he is an apostle according to the promise of life in Jesus Christ. That is, that he does what he does because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That this is the message of life to the world. This is the message for dead sinners that can find hope, that can find life in Jesus Christ's name. And so not only is he an apostle by the will of God, he is an apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he does, the reason that he does what he does is because of the gospel, and it is for the sake of the gospel, which is the promise of life. This is who the Apostle Paul is, and now he's telling us who he is writing to. He's writing to his young child in the faith, Timothy. One thing I want to tell you about Timothy is that what we see missing from this scriptures is his father. What we notice from this morning's text is that his mother was a Jew. Acts tells us that his father was a Greek. And we, as we look to the scriptures, his biological father is absent. He's not there in his life. But he had a spiritual father, the Apostle Paul. And this man taught him the truths of the Christian faith. 
Thank the Lord for the faithful who are willing to teach the younger. Thank the Lord for the faithful older who are willing to teach younger people in the faith. Where would we be without our spiritual mentors in the faith? Where would we be for those who, who, without those who took us under their wings and taught us the things of God? Who sacrificed to show us the love of Christ? Who taught us the things of the faith? I know today that I am not the man that I am without those men and women who came into my life that helped raise me up to spiritual maturity. Paul considered Timothy his beloved, his beloved child in the faith. And he wishes him here in this text the very best from God. He says, I wish you grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the very best from our good God. He wishes him mercy. That is, our God is merciful towards sinners and he has given them grace to live by. An empowering grace that is for us to grow in godliness. And not only grace, he wishes him peace. That is peace with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And because of the peace that we have found with God through Jesus Christ, we can have a peace in our life. And this is what the Apostle Paul wishes his beloved Timothy. He continues with his greeting towards Timothy by saying this, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. It has become a popular teaching that the Jews of the Old Testament that the Jews of the Old Testament were saved in a different way that they believed in a different God than the Christians of the New Testament. It's become a popular teaching in our day to say that the God of the Hebrew scriptures is full of wrath and judgment that he's different than the God of the New Testament. It's become a popular teaching in our day to say that the God of the Old Testament is angry and full of judgment, but the God of the New Testament is full of love, kindness, and grace. But this morning I want to assert to you that nothing could be further from the truth. And in our day, people need to read their Bibles more. People need to study the Word of God from cover to cover. And what they will find there is a God who has been incredibly patient with His people. The God of the Old Testament was incredibly patient and loving towards the people of Israel. These Israelites almost were constantly in a state of rebellion against the Holy God. But He remained steadfast towards them, showing them over and over again His wonderful grace. And notice, throughout all of their rebellion, throughout that entire that picture of the Old Testament, what moves forward? His plan of salvation. His plan to bring Abraham's seed. His plan that God would become flesh and dwell among us. God never reneged on his promises. He never wiped them out. He had a remnant always of saved believers. He said that all nations would be blessed through Abraham's seed. And we see the Old Testament is his story of how he brings that plan to fruition. And in case you think the God of the New Testament is all love and no justice, I don't think you've been reading the New Testament. I want you to read the words of Jesus Christ, and you will find someone who spoke of judgment often, who spoke more often of hell than any other. 
You need to read the book of Revelation where you will find the most frightening and fierce judgment towards sin that you could find anywhere in the scriptures. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God from Genesis to Revelation is the same God throughout all of history. And that's what Paul is telling us here. He is saying that his ancestors in the faith, that his forefathers, the Jewish people, had the same faith as him. That they were saved just like you and me. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. For the ancient people, it was a future hope of what God would do. It was a future hope in Abraham's seed that all the nations would be blessed by. It was a future trust in God to save them. And for us, it's a current hope that God did save the world through Abraham's seed, Jesus Christ. See, Paul saw the faith of his forefathers as the exact same as his faith. This is what he says to Timothy. He continues to write to Timothy, saying he now writes him with a clear conscience. That is to say that faith is not merely knowledge for Paul. It's not merely good theology or right teaching. He also serves God with the way that he lives. That this man has a clear conscience because what he says, what he believes, he actually lives it out. He's not living in outright sin. He's not not constantly trying to make grace cheap. We know Paul still struggles with sin because Romans 7 tells us that. That he still contended with the flesh, that he still battles sin like us all. But this man did not desire to walk in sin. He desired to glorify God with his life. He had a faith that caused him to walk in a newness of life. And he says here he has a clear conscience because he's not constantly bogged down in the sins of the world. And not only that, he believes, he trusts in the sufficient work of Jesus Christ. Christians need to hear this message today. Too often do we start to doubt whether or not God will forgive us. God will forgive you because his son was sacrificed on a cross. His blood was shed on your account. The forgiveness found in Jesus Christ is absolutely perfect. And so when we fall, when we fall into sin, we start to struggle with a guilty, bogged down conscience. And we start to doubt whether God will actually forgive us. And really, we're self-centered in the thinking. Now we should feel We should feel conviction whenever we fall into sin. That's not what I'm saying. But when we fall into sin, we need to ask God for forgiveness. We need to to repent. We need to turn away from sin. But then we need to trust God to forgive us because the blood of the cross is sufficient. We need to rely on that forgiveness every single day because I promise you, you're going to sin every day. And so the, the Apostle Paul, he had a clear conscience because... One, he walked in newness of life. And then two, when he sinned, he actually believed that God would forgive him. He actually trusted Christ to take his sins away. He continues to his dear Timothy. He says this, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. This man that he loves, he prays for him. 
When he wakes up, when he goes to sleep, he remembers Timothy in his prayers. What a gift from the Apostle Paul to constantly be remembering Timothy in his prayers. And Timothy should recognize the man that he is, the success that he has had. It's because of people praying for his ministry. And not only that, he says here he's thankful for Timothy and he prays like it. The Apostle Paul prays for Timothy. Charles Spurgeon said that no man can do me a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. Let me say that again. Charles Spurgeon said that no man can do me a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. I agree with Charles Spurgeon. There's no greater gift that you can give to me. There's no greater kindness that you can show to me than to pray for me. So this morning, please pray for your pastors. Pray for your children in the faith. Pray for your church. It is a great kindness that you can do. And I want you to think about the Apostle Paul this morning. Think about this man's life. He truly gave his life to Christ. He surrendered all. He lived for Christ. And he went, in his journeys, he went from town to town, from country to country. And he was constantly being persecuted, being beaten for his faith. And right now, as he writes this letter, he finds himself in prison, imprisoned for Jesus Christ. Now I want you to think about what's going through his mind and think about yourself in prison. And you've heard the news that your death is coming quickly. That you're going to be put to death for your faith. I don't know about you, but that's probably all I could think about day and night. If I were going to pray for something, that's what I would be praying for. But this man, in the face of his death, is not forgetting his young Timothy. He shows Timothy great love by continually praying for him night and day. Oh, how we should learn from the apostles' example. I want you to think about this morning how easy it is for us in this American life for us not to pray. We get so busy and distracted with our lives. We tell people we're going to pray for them, and then life gets in the way. And the prayer never happens. And then we start to feel like, oh, prayer's getting in the way of the life I want to live. But think about the Apostle Paul facing in, in a hardship unlike we've ever seen in all of our life. He is faithful to pray for his son in the faith to be thankful for him in prayer. Please, this morning, let us learn from this example. May we all set aside time to pray, to pray for the people in our lives, to pray with thanksgiving for the people in our lives, to pray for the spiritually weak among us, and to pray for our church leaders. And please pray for your pastors. Paul continues in verse 4, he says, As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Here we get a glimpse into the relationship between these two men. And yes, it says tears. We see men with tears. It's really become taboo in our day for men to cry. You can't even be manly and cry, right? That, that's typical. But that's not what we see right here in Scripture. Timothy is in tears. 
He doesn't want his Apostle Paul, his dear friend in the faith, to leave him. And so he's distressed. And it might be the very time that he left him right there in Ephesus. We do not know when, but we do see of the love between these two men. And it's causing Paul to remember that event. And it reminds him of Timothy's sincere faith. He's reminded that Timothy is not just a mere professor of faith, that this man is a true believer of Jesus Christ. He doesn't give lip service to the Lord. He lives his faith. His faith has caused action in his life. This young Timothy is willing to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not a dead faith in his life. This is a living, fruitful faith in the life of young Timothy. He is one who has been born again. And he's willing to go to this hard place where he is literally, in his own church, public enemy number one. And Paul sees this and says, I have seen your sincere faith. Timothy knows that he's nothing apart from what the Lord has done. He is lost without him. He is a poor beggar that has received the the bread from heaven who is Jesus Christ. Paul says of this sincere faith that he saw it first in his grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure it dwells in you also, Timothy. See, these women were so important in Timothy's life. They were so important to Timothy's faith. We know from the scriptures that they were Jewish believers and that they had received Jesus Christ and that they had taught their young son, grandson, the things of the faith. You know, I think there's a lesson in this verse that we can that we can all learn this morning. Sometimes we all want the glitz and the glam of this life. We tend to think that unless you're going on missions trips, unless you're preaching the Word of God, unless you're teaching the Word of God, that you're not serving God. But sometimes it's the thankless tasks of Christianity. Sometimes it's the thankless tasks of this Christian life that God uses most profoundly. Really, if you're taking notes this morning, I think that is a note to take. Sometimes it's the thankless tasks of the Christian life that God uses most profoundly. You know, the grass can become greener to us on the other side. We can long for something greater. We can long for some kind of greater ministry. But one question I have for you this morning is what has God put before you in your life? What work is there to be done right before you in your life? What is right before you that you can be faithful in like these two women right here in the Scriptures? Look at their example this day. They show us what obedient faith looks like. These women knew the words of eternal life and they gave those words to their young Timothy. And they weren't without hardship, Eunice. She was unequally yoked. She married a Greek. And we can all but assume that this man is completely gone from the picture. But these women didn't give up. There was fight in these women. They did not say things like, oh well, he'll just be like his father. There's no hope for him. No, they are faithful. And they teach young Timothy the scriptures. They raise this young man according to the will of God. And their work has not been in vain. 
They have reaped a harvest in young Timothy. This is a man who has sincere faith. And I don't know about you as a parent or a grandparent, but is there any greater gift that you could ever receive when it comes to your children? To hear those words that your children have sincere faith. God watered what they had sowed into this young man's life. And so a note of application from this verse, please, today, don't despise the work that God has laid in front of you. No matter how small it seems, no matter who it is for, know that God desires you to be faithful in it today. Do you have children? Do you have grandchildren? Do you have nieces and nephews? They all need you. They need you to be faithful with what God has given you. And sure, you might not get any praise for it. People might not ever see what you've done for them in their life. But who wants praise from people anyway? Why would we ever want the fleeting praise of men? Why would we want praise that is just for the here and now and will not last? Do we not want the reward for us that is from our Heavenly Father in Heaven? Do we not want to hear from our Lord and Savior, well done, good and faithful servant? Do the work that God has for you because you want to live for God. You want to honor Him. You want to show Him how much you love Him. Do the work that God has put before you. What Paul knows of Timothy is that, that that work was so important, that that work was so pivotal in Timothy's life that he brings it up right here. He's thankful for these women, that their life was not in vain. Those teachings that they went through Timothy over and over again, teaching them, teaching him the things of God, that those seeds were eventually watered by God. He is certain that Timothy has the Holy Spirit and that he is an indwelt believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, a man of sincere faith. Paul now moves beyond the pleasantries. This has really been his, his introduction, his greeting to Timothy, and his words are about ready to get much sharper. And really, this is why he writes. This is his purpose. This is what he needs to speak to Timothy about. And I want you to notice something about the text this morning. Notice how he started his letter. It was with praise for Timothy. It was with love, kindness towards Timothy. He came first with these kind, loving, gentle way, gentle way to prepare his heart for the truth he now has to give him. We can learn from the Apostle Paul here. Sometimes we just want to bring a truth hammer to people. But maybe first we should stop like the Apostle Paul and talk to them about, about the good things in their life, about what God is doing in their life, about the good that we see in them in their life. And then we bring the truth in love, the way the Apostle Paul will right here. And maybe when we do it that way, it'll be more likely to be received. In verse 6, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
So what's implied in this verse is that Timothy is growing cold. That maybe his zeal is waning. Maybe his preaching has lost some punch. Maybe he's growing weary. He's facing that uphill battle and he's tired. Maybe he no longer wants to contend for the truth. Maybe he no longer wants to preach the truth. Maybe he no longer wants to do the work of an evangelist. We don't know the reason, but Paul is telling him, Timothy, you're slipping. You're letting go of that passion that you once had. And he's telling him to fan into flame, to kindle afresh the gift of God that is in his life. As Christians, believe it or not, we all have gifts that have been given by God in our life. Gifts to serve the church by the Holy Spirit of God. Each of us has a role to play in the body of Christ. Each person has been gifted by God to serve His body as a working member, as a fruitful member, as a Spirit-empowered member. We should be a people who have spiritual gifts to live out what God has called each and every one of us to, for the building up of the body. There are many spiritual gifts, and God has gifted each and every one of us in a different way through God the Holy Spirit. And here the call from this verse is to stir up that gift, to fan it into flame. Whatever the talent God has given you, He is calling you to it. To be faithful in it, to, to do the work that He has equipped you for, to not let it die out, to put into practice what the Spirit has gifted you to do. And for Timothy, this was leadership. For Timothy, this was preaching and teaching the Word of God. But that talent of Timothy's, it's smoldering. That's the picture here. It's just like coals. But what's he called them to do? To fan it into flame. That Timothy, there's just barely a fan or a flame there. You need to fan it. You need to kindle it afresh. You need to wake up and remember what you've been called to. You need to stand bold and not shrink back. You need to stand firm in your calling. And you need to know that if God has called you to it, He has equipped you for it. This is the call for Timothy. This is the call for us all. To press on. To do what God has called us to. And to remember that God is at work in you. He's at work in your life. And He seeks to do work through you. And He has equipped you by the Holy Spirit, to do so. Paul now reminds him that the people of God are not to be cowards. And really, this has plagued us in this day and probably every age of the church. In verse 7, it says, For God has gave, given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That word there, fear, can mean timidness or cowardice. And I believe Timothy was struggling with one particular type of fear, the fear of man. And I'm going to tell you this morning, nothing stifles the work of God more. Nothing stifles the truth of God more than the fear of man. 
Nothing will cause our faith to be more stagnant than the fear of man. The fear of man will cause us to make peace where we should take a stand. The fear of man will cause us to be silent when we should speak. The fear of man will cause us to let unbiblical things grow in our church. And I do believe that this was Timothy's main struggle. Timothy was afraid of those elders in his church. Timothy was afraid to preach the truth. Timothy was afraid of the women in his church. Timothy was uh, afraid to speak what God has called him to. And in this time, persecution had started there in Ephesus by the hands of Nero. And he was putting Christians to the death. And that godless culture would have been absolutely ruthless. And there was a growing threat of Christian persecution in that day. And so he's also afraid of that persecution. John MacArthur notes on this verse that fear denotes a cowardly, shameful fear that is caused by a weak, selfish character. In Timothy's day, there was a threat of Roman persecution, which was escalating under Nero. The hostility of the Ephesians church who resented Timothy's leadership. And there were assaults on Timothy from the false teachers with their sophisticated systems of deceptions, which may have been overwhelming to Timothy. But if he was fearful, it didn't come from God. Did you hear that this morning? If he was fearful, it didn't come from God. Power is what comes from God. Power in the Spirit and dwelt believer's life is what comes from God. God has given every single believer the spiritual resources that they need for every trial and threat. When we fear, it is not of God. Paul reminds him that God has not given him the Spirit of God so that he could remain a coward. No, Timothy must preach the truth in season and out, when it's popular or when it's not. He must lead according to the Scriptures, even if it goes against everybody's opinion. He must stand against the false gospel that absolutely cannot save. He must not shrink back in the face of suffering, even if it would cost him his very life. He has been given the spirit of power to do so. Paul says a spirit of love that is love towards God and to the members of his church. A spirit of self-control to be a disciplined person. To abstain from the, six, from the sins of the world and to a better equip himself for ministry. We've looked at this text this morning. And this is how I want to finish today. As Christians like Timothy, we're going to go through many trials. We're going to go through threats in this life, and really we have a, a culture that is growing in hostility towards Christians. And I believe those threats will even grow worse rather than less. And the question is, will we fear men or will we fear God? See, we're going to struggle to use those gifts that God has given us. We're often going to be cowards in the face of opposition. But this is not what God has called us to. He has not called us to a spirit of fear. 
That is our problem. That is our struggle. That is with our flesh. When we fear, it is us, not God. But we, like Timothy, need to kindle afresh the things of God that are in our lives. We need to remember that the Spirit of God has given us all we need for this life. And that He is with us. And as believers, we have the Spirit of God. He is not leaving us. And so there is absolutely no reason to fear. There's no reason to fear the opinions of people. Because after all, what what does that really matter? Aren't opinions fading? Don't opinions change from one decade to the next? But whose opinion matters forever? God's. He is the one that you should desire to be faithful to. The one who saved you. The one who gave his life for you. The one who left the heavenly places. The one who left his glorious throne. The one who lived a perfect life in your place. The one who died a sacrificial death for you. This is who you should desire to live for. The one who drank your cup of the Father's wrath. The one who took his, your hell on his shoulder. The one who paid it all in your place the one Jesus who was buried, who died and rose again. The one who gave it all so that we could be saved. This is the one who we should be living for. And after all, Jesus is the one who said that we will have tribulation in this world. But he says that we can fear not, we can take courage, we can be courageous. Because Christ has overcome the world. There is truly nothing to fear for the Christian. Because this life is only temporary. Your great reward, because you've had faith in Jesus Christ, because you've been saved by His grace, is an eternity with Him. What could this world ever do to you that could ever take that away? That great gift that lasts for all of eternity. This life is only temporary. Come on, today, be bold for Jesus Christ. Live for Him. Don't be a coward. Stand up. Be strong in the faith. Because Christ has overcome. Because your King has conquered sin and death. Because your King has taken the sting of your sin away. This Jesus, He's the one that sent us the Helper. The Holy Spirit of God who gives us power. And He didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power, love, and self-control. And so the question for you today is do you have this Spirit? Do you know this Lord? The Scriptures say that if you do not have the Spirit of God, that you do not have salvation. No Spirit, no salvation. The Spirit of God and dwells all who have been saved. So I urge you today, receive Christ if you do not know him. Receive the forgiveness of your sins. Receive the one who took the place of sinners. Please, today. Receive the newness of life that the Apostle Paul found in Jesus Christ. Receive the spirit of power in your life. He's calling us today to repent and to trust in him.
please, I urge you, today is the day of your salvation. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ if you have not done so.